All right, good morning again. I hope you have your Bible with you and that you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 if you don't have a Bible with you. I hope that you'll grab one from the pew rack there in front of you so you can follow along as we study God's Word together or snuggle up next to someone near you who does have a Bible uh, so that we can see what God has to say to us today. Not, ju- not just hear it, but see it also uh, so that the things that, that are coming out, you can tell are coming from the text, not just from um, the, the preacher, right? We want to hear from the Lord. Last week, we came to a very important text in the structure of 1 Peter. After reminding us who we are as God's people, he's going to give us some very practical instruction about how we live as God's people in the world, among unbelievers, in hostile territory. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, we saw a general statement that serves as the foundation for more specific applications that will follow. And I told you that to understand those more detailed instructions about how do we relate to the government, how do we relate to our employer, how do we relate uh, as spouses at home or with our children or something like that. We had to have those basic principles clearly established in order to understand those things. So we labored hard at that last week, and I tried to boil it down for you to three big ideas. Number one, beloved, this place is not our home. This place is not our home. We saw that in Philippians 3 when we read, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw it also in Hebrews chapter 13. We Here, we do not have a lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. And I told you we talked a lot about that city, the New Jerusalem, in our study of Revelation a few months ago. I told you that our true home, our heavenly home, demands our ultimate allegiance. And this world in which we live does not deserve it. Our true home demands it, and this world demands it does not deserve it. Number one, beloved, this place is not our home. Number two, beloved, there is a war within. And we saw this in Galatians chapter five, when Paul said, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these, the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There is a war within. Paul articulates that war in principle in Galatians chapter 5, and then he, he like testifies to it in his own practical experience in Romans chapter 7, when he says at one point, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So, brothers and sisters, I told you, make war, because war is being made against you. And not war just against your flesh, not war against your bank account, not war against your relationship. The war that is raging against you is against your soul. The desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh wage war against your soul is what the text told us last week. So we are at war whether we want to admit it or not. And so we must fight. Now, we rejoice that thanks be to God we have been given victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And from that victory, we make war. From that place of victory in Christ, we make war against the lusts of the flesh. Beloved, this place is not our home. Beloved, there is a war within. And thirdly, beloved, there is a world to win. I told you that our doctrinal statement here at First Baptist Church, the Baptist Faith and Message, says, It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the loss to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle. Verbal witness, that is the proclamation of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, preached, and a Christian lifestyle that undergirds that preaching. It is both of those things that are important. We see Jesus talk about this in Matthew chapter 5, 
when he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Part of how we win the world to Christ, to faith in Jesus, is by the way that we live. So, brothers and sisters, beloved, let's boldly proclaim the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's talk about that with our words, with our mouths, and let's live a life that is marked by beautiful holiness, a life that is marked by good deeds. And we will pray in the process that God will call people out of darkness into his marvelous light, just like he did for us, that he will cause them to be born again, that he will save them and make them his own possession forever and ever. Those were the basic principles that we laid out last week. This week, we're going to see Peter take those general principles and apply them specifically to the believer's relationship with the governing authorities. And I will tell you that this is not an easy issue this week. What Peter will say in the text today, what God says in his word today, is going to rub some of us the wrong way. In fact, I have been geeked up, as Dylan would say, all week, knowing that this is coming, really for the last month or so, knowing that this is coming, and knowing it's not something we often want to hear. So we want to be reminded of what Charles Spurgeon says about God's word when he says, if there is any verse that you would like left out of the Bible, that is the verse that ought to stick to you like a blister until you really attend to its teaching. And this may be that. We may read through this today and say, I'd like to leave that part out. And if that's the case, let that thing stick to you until you attend to his teaching. Because brothers and sisters, we don't get to decide what is left out of God's word. We don't get to pick and choose what we will submit to and what we will not. We will either live in obedience to God or disobedience and rebellion to him. And he speaks clearly in his word today. That's not something we want to hear. And before we get into the text, I want to acknowledge that this, what we're going to see today, is not all that the Bible says about our relationship with the authorities over us. The principle here does have exceptions and in Acts, even, we see Peter himself, the author of this letter, disobeying the authorities when they tell him and John to stop preaching about Jesus. There are exceptions to the rule that we see in the text today, but I am going to resist the temptation to preach all of those exceptions instead of the principle that is clearly in the text. That approach may be more popular. To say, yeah, this text tells us to submit to the governing authorities, but let me show you four examples in the Bible where people did not do that. If I went that way, I think it would get a lot of amens. But it would not be faithful to the text that is in front of us today. And, and we just try to march through God's word, right? Like we're, we're not picking and choosing about, oh, we're, we're going we're to study this part this week and we're going to go a whole different direction next week. We're just marching through God's word, right? And it would be unfaithful to the text in front of us to talk about Rebellion today, when the text calls us to submission. I will say this. When the authorities that are over us command us to do what the Lord forbids, or they forbid us to do what the Lord commands, we must obey God rather than men. We love to talk about that. People get fired up over that. But that is the exception. The rule, as expressed in the text today and others that we've read earlier in the service, is that Christians submit to the authorities over them. That should be our default position. That should be our resting place, is that we submit to the authorities over us. I got to be really careful today 
with my own heart as I preach this text. Because the last two years have been difficult. The last two years have been difficult for all of us, right? And as leaders here at First Baptist Harrisburg, we have sought to act faithfully and biblically in the decisions we have made regarding COVID and our response to COVID and mandates from the government particularly. Safe to say, not everyone has agreed with the decisions we have made. That may be the understatement of the day. But this text, God's word here, in 1 Peter chapter 2 is one of the reasons we did what we did. And I want to explain that today. Again, without trying to vindicate myself, without saying, I told you so. I also don't want necessarily today to be an indictment on others who chose a different path. So I got to be careful. I got to be really careful with my own tone as we walk through this text today. So here's, here's what I want to encourage. Let's pray. Right after we read the text, let's pray that I can preach faithfully today and that you can hear faithfully today. That, that I will preach faithful unto God's word and that you will hear it as God's word. And that we all will act in obedience to it for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. You're going to see that in the text as we read it. So read it with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. God's word says, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we acknowledge from the very beginning that you are right always. Your wisdom is greater than ours. Your ways are perfect. Your teaching is correct. So I ask for your help as I preach to be clear and careful. And I ask for your help as we hear to be humble and submissive to you and to your word. We pray together for wisdom and discernment as we navigate our relationship with authorities, especially those who seem to be against you and, and against us. Give us wisdom and discernment. We ask also that you would give us a clearer view of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be inclined to live properly as strangers and aliens here following his example. Pray that you will help us to live under authority in a way that is pleasing to you. For you are our king. You are the king, in fact. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. We pray this for his sake. Help us, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, look at verse 13. It says, submit yourself, yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I want you to notice right off the bat that the command here, the imperative, we keep seeing these, right? These clear calls to action, these commands, do this. The command here is to submit. That word submit means to place oneself under. That's the, that's the word picture. It's to put yourself under someone else's direction and authority. Willingly put yourself under. Notice in the text that it is not the authority's responsibility to cause us to submit to them. 
This text does not call them to compel us to submit or coerce us into submission. Rather, this text says that it is our responsibility as Christians to submit to them. Because this letter is written to believers, right? The chosen, the called, right? Who are scattered all around the Roman Empire. Exiles, living as strangers and aliens. It's written to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility as Christians to submit to them, to willingly, voluntarily put ourselves under the authority's direction. Clearly, as I talk about this, we're already swimming upstream, right? Because none of us have a natural desire to submit to anyone or anything. This is a problem. It's a huge problem. And if you don't believe me that we have a natural inclination to rebel against every form of authority, I would invite you to have some children. Right? I did not have to teach my kids to resist me. I did not have to teach my kids to resist my authority over them in our home. They came by that naturally and quickly. We've got the tiniest little baby in, in the room today, like four days, five days old. You will not have to teach her. You will not have to teach her to resist you. She comes by that naturally. If you don't believe me, have some, have some kids, go to work, turn on the news, open up social media, or for that matter, open your Bible and read it. Open your Bible and read it and see that from the very beginning, there has been resistance to the authority of God in particular. We see it in the fall of Satan. He did not like being under the authority of God. And he was able to convince a third of the angels to come with him in his rebellion against God. Think about it in the Garden of Eden. Is that not rebellion against authority? Did not the one who has every right to tell his creation, do this and don't do that? And did they not just immediately want to do what he told them not to do? Are we not naturally, fleshly inclined against submission to authority. The point is, submission is not natural. Submission is not natural. But I've got good news, beloved. We are not natural people. We are supernatural people who have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. So we are not given to our natural inclinations. In fact, we are called in the text last week to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And we do that war by the spirit that dwells in us, by the word of God. So we fight against that inclination, that natural inclination to rebel. Notice that this text calls us to submit ourselves to every human institution. This is a reference to all kinds of human authorities. And thus serves as a general statement that's going to hang over the next few weeks as we talk about the workplace, as we talk about the home. But Peter's thought here is going to flow directly into the discussion about governmental authorities. I think, it's not, I think what he says about submit yourselves to every human institution is not limited to governmental authorities, but he's going to flow right into governmental authorities. So I agree with Wayne Grudem, who says the inclusiveness of the word every in this text makes it appropriate to apply this statement, therefore, to other legitimate human authorities, parents and children, church officers and members, authority structures in businesses, educational institutions, voluntary organizations, and on and on. Submit yourselves to every human institution, but maybe the most important phrase in that first section is the phrase, for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We are to submit to every human institution, that is, all kinds of authorities, not because those authorities themselves deserve it. 
is not because of them that we do this, nor is it because of what we might get out of our submission to them. But it is rather for the Lord's sake, Peter says, that we submit to these authorities that are over us. John Piper said that when we do this, we actually exalt the Lord over the emperor, over the governor, over the authority. When we submit to them, when we submit to them for his sake, we show him, him to be our true king. When I say I submit to you because I submit to Jesus, we show Jesus to be our true king. And secondly, Piper says we do this because the Lord sent us to be subject. He gives us this direction. Our king tells us to do this. So at my house sometimes, I get this, why? Why should I do that, Dad? Why? Why Why do I have to do this? Why? 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 And at the end of the day, sometimes it's settled with, because I said so. Because I said so. And that should work at my house. It must work with the Lord. To whom else could he appeal? Why must I do this, Lord? If he says, because I said so, that's enough. You go no further. You shut your mouth and you do what he says. In other words, it is not because of them. It is not because they demand it. It's not because they deserve it. Nor is it because of us. Because we will benefit from this submission in some way. It is because of Jesus. It is because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has told us as his people to live this way. This text is one of those places. There are others. But none of this, I'm gonna, I want to be with you in this. None of this is easy for us. None of us is happy to hear this. None of us lean this way naturally. So I don't want to pretend like this is easy, but we need to hear it. Charles Swindoll said, our problem is not understanding what submission means. Our problem is doing it, right? Doing what it says. We know what submission means. We just don't like to do it. H.B. Charles Jr. goes on and he says, submission has become a bad word, but it is a biblical word. God commands us to submit, and the grammar indicates willing subjection, not coerced submission. The text says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he goes on and says, whether to a king as one in authority. Now, some of you may already be making an argument in your mind to try to get around the submission that's called for in this text by saying, but the authority that is over me is bad. In fact, the authority over me is ungodly and evil. And so I should get a, I should get a pass on this, this submission stuff because my boss, my ruler, my king, my governor is evil. Well, let me let you in on a bit of history. Peter is writing this to Christians who lived under Roman rule during the days of Nero. The audience had the rascal Nero as their king. Now, most scholars believe that this letter was written in the early days of Nero's reign when his hatred of Christians and his persecution of Christians was fairly mild. But Nero is the guy who would light Christians on fire to serve as torches for his garden parties. Like he did this because they were Christians. He would put tar on them, put them on a stake, light them on fire so he could see what was going on in his garden while he had a party. In fact, it's not far-fetched to think that some of Peter's original recipients ended up that way. Nero is the guy who burned down most of Rome and then blamed it on the Christians to take attention off of himself 
and turn ill will of the rest of the people against the Christians. Burned down most of his own capital in order to turn the tide against the church. That's the guy who was the king when Peter writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and commands the people to submit to governing authorities for Christ's sake. That king, Nero, would eventually kill Peter. And yet Peter calls for submission. Now, you might not like the authority over you. You might not like the governmental authority over you, the president or the governor in particular. But aren't you thankful they're not Nero? Biden is no Nero. Pritzker is no Nero. So what's our excuse? Many would argue that this is a call to submit this first part to national government leaders, to the president, to Congress, to the government like as a whole. Like We have to do a little bit of translation into this modern American system to talk about, well, who is the king? We don't really have a king. No, we have a government, right? And if we were going to talk about who's the most like a king, it would be the president. If we were going to talk about who's most like the governor, it would be the governor. Um, there is parallel here. We don't get to escape this because we live in a different system. Wayne Grudem says, The principle to be drawn from these passages is obey except when commanded to sin. This is the Christian's responsibility toward all forms of rightful human authority, whether the individual Christian agrees with all the policies of that authority or not. God expects Christians to be subject even to human authorities who are neither believers nor morally upright. If we don't get a pass because the leader is evil. We don't get a pass because the authority is ungodly. If they are not commanding us to sin, we obey. That's the default position of this text. I'll tell you a story about a friend of ours who hosts a meeting of an underground church in a country where it is illegal to gather together as Christians. Like it's, it's, it's illegal, as far as the government is concerned, to get together with a bunch of other Christians, to sing praises to God, to hear his word preached, to preach the gospel to your neighbors. It's illegal to do all of those things. But they do it. Right? They, they risk whatever punishment might come from the government because they are compelled by the scriptures to gather together to worship God. They are compelled by the scriptures to preach the gospel, right? So this government that says you can't do that, they say, we've got to do that. But this same government that says you can't meet together like this has also said, when you gather together in whatever context, everybody needs to wear a mask. So this, this underground church that rebels against the government, when they say you can't meet, they say, no, we must meet. But when they say wear a mask, they say, yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. So it's a, it's a kind of bizarro picture of the underground illegal church disobeying the rules that they cannot keep, but obeying the ones that they can. In fact, this dear brother said, we follow the rules we can, even as we break the rules we cannot follow. Like, just because the one thing, the one thing must require obedience to God and not man doesn't mean you disobey that government in everything. So just, I, I just chew on that for the rest of the day, the picture of the underground church meeting illegally, but submitting to the governing authorities over them by, by wearing masks because that's what they've asked them to do. We are called in this text to submit to national leadership. We are also called in this text to submit to more local leadership. Look at verse 14. It says, Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. We not only see here a call to submit to more local governmental authority, but we also see some of the design of government itself. 
We see that government is designed to punish evildoers and praise those who do right. This is the exact same design we read about earlier in the service in Romans chapter 13. These authorities are put in place by God to restrain evil and to maintain order by punishing evil and praising good. And brothers and sisters, this is part of God's design for us as humans. That there would be order, that there would be structure. And we see this all throughout the Bible. In fact, some of you have been reading a chronological plan, like along with me, and we just finished Judges, right? And how often in Judges do you read, there was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in their own sight? How'd that work out when they went through those seasons? Everyone just did whatever they wanted. They didn't appeal to any other authority. It was a disaster. And in fact, it was in those moments that God would raise up an authority called a judge who would come and be an authority over the people and bring them to repentance and bring them to godliness. It didn't last long because the judges didn't last long. And the people gave themselves to anarchy. And it was ugly. It's not the plan. Chaos, trouble, anarchy, not the design of God for people. Not just his people, all people. God has given the authority to punish evildoers to governments. See this all throughout the Bible. Not to individuals. Not to individuals. God has a good design for governments. Do governments always execute that good design properly? No. I'm not trying to say that every government is good. I'm trying to say that government is good. No government is bad. No authority is bad. Anarchy, lawlessness, chaos, and trouble are bad. Remember, this text is not written to those in authority, but to those who are called to put themselves under authority. We submit to governing authorities because God has put them into place to restrain evil and maintain order. Read on in verse 15. He says, For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Last week in Sunday school we saw a text that similarly declared, this is God's will for you, right? I often hear people agonizing over trying to discern and determine, and determine God's will for their lives. Like it's some great mystery. They come to me and they say, oh, pastor, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. And yet, in the text last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, this is God's will for you, sanctification. Sanctification, namely, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Sanctification, namely abstaining from sexual immorality. That's God's will for your life. And this text is a similar declaration to that. What is God's will for you? Submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake. That's his will for you. This should be, as believers, the default setting of our lives. But I'm afraid that too often we are more influenced by our American heritage than we are by the Bible. And so we default to prideful rebellion rather than humble submission when it comes to authority. Or at least we have the trigger for rebellion set way too light. This takes a little bit of pressure to trigger rebellion in us. At the first sign of something we disagree with, the first sign of something we think is inconvenient, we call for exception to the rule that's spelled out in this text today, and we rebel against the authority. I think if you read the Bible, you will find that the trigger for rebellion against authority is heavy. The times when we see it in Scripture, it is big time stuff 
on the table. It is the commanded murder of innocent children. The commanded murder. Those Hebrew midwives were commanded by the Pharaoh to murder every Hebrew boy that came out of the womb. And they said, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. It's when things like worship the king as God are commanded. The people of God say, we can't do that. When they say pray to no one but the king himself, they say we can't do that. When the authority says, you've got to stop preaching about Jesus. Stop telling the world that Jesus is the Messiah and that he can save them. They say, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's when those kind of things are on the table. It takes a heavy trigger. It takes a heavy pull for the trigger of rebellion as we read in the scriptures. It says in this text that his will for us is to submit to the governing authorities and beyond that, in the process of doing that, in the process of doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish men, the text says. That second part is what we talked about last week when I said, beloved, there is a world to win. Track with me here. By our submission to God, by our submission to human authority as submission to God, by doing good, which is praised by the government and beautiful to those who see it, as we read in the text last week, by doing this, we might win the world to faith in Jesus. Some of them will see our good deeds, our submission even to human authority as submission to divine authority. They will see that and they will glorify God on the day of visitation. One preacher said it like this. He said, when believers obey the principles of this passage, it gives genuine credibility to their faith. Submission to civil authority is an implementation of what we might call evangelistic citizenship. That concept of evangelistic citizenship is really interesting. And even if you disagree with it, you would agree that the world is watching us. The world is watching us and how we engage with issues of the day. Peter here is teaching that by our submission to God, our submission to human authority as submission to God, our doing of good that is praised by the government, all of these things are compelling to the lost world to perhaps bring them out of darkness into marvelous light. Read on, verse 16. He says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. If you're holding a CSB, Christian Standard Bible Translation, you're holding the best translation of this verse. Because it connects this call to the call to submit. Paradoxical as it may sound, CSB says, submit as free men. Submit as free men. And this is the essence of the call in the text. This text teaches us that we are free. We are free from governmental authorities because we are under the lordship of Jesus, who is the true king of all kings. And our allegiance is to him. But the true king, the great king, has told us to submit ourselves to these earthly kings as temporary kings. So here Peter is saying, don't use your freedom in Christ to do the exact opposite of what he has told you to do. Rather, as bond slaves of God, gladly submit yourselves to Christ and do what he says. Namely, here, submit yourself to the governing authorities unless they command you to sin. I thought Scott McKnight said a clever thing about this when he said, Christians are to be good citizens because they are obedient to the Lord. We are to be good citizens because we are obedient to the Lord, not good Christians because they are obedient to the state. The issue at hand is not ultimately obedience to the state, to the governing authority. The issue at hand ultimately is obedience to the Lord, who has called us to be obedient to the state, so long as they don't call us to sin. 
so long as they don't command us to sin. The issue at hand is obedience to the Lord. Now look at verse 17. Peter says, God says in his word, honor all people, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. This last set of quick imperatives serves as a good summary of everything we've talked about. And I think it's best to understand these four as two pairs. Two pairs that show the general obligation that we have and then a specific greater obligation that we have. Notice it says, honor all people. And if you want a fascinating study and conversation, uh, listen to John Piper talk about how we honor all kinds of people. How we honor the king, how we honor our neighbor, how we honor a rapist and murderer. How do we rightly honor all people? Fascinating. We don't have time to do it, but it's a really fascinating discussion that we are called in this text to honor all kinds of people. But, but, it says love the brotherhood. Honor all the people. Love the brotherhood. We have a certain obligation to all people, but we have a special obligation to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a special obligation to our spiritual family. We have a special obligation to the church particularly. Look at Galatians chapter 6. We see the same logic from Paul when he says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we have this general obligation to all kinds of people, but we have a specific and greater obligation to the people of faith, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the next pair work the same way, only in reverse order. Because he says here, fear God and honor the king. The king is not God, and we don't fear him as if he was God. Even if, like Nero, he demands to be worshipped as God. We honor the king. We fear God. And because we fear God, we honor the king. In our fear of God and in our obedience to God, we honor the king. This second part is a vertical distinction of our relationship with authority, right? I'm going to honor the king. I'm going to honor the one in authority over me. I'm going to fear God. And I'm going to honor that one over me and submit to him because I fear God and in my fear of God and in my submission ultimately to him. The other is horizontal. It's a horizontal distinction of our engagement with our peers. I'm going to honor everyone. I'm going to especially love you. I'm going to especially love you, brothers and sisters. So here's the application. I want us to build our application. Doug, can you go back to that, that first slide that has the three points from last week? I want us to build our application from those three principles that we laid out last week. Number one, beloved, this place is not our home. This place is not our home. We live here, but we don't belong here. We are ultimately submissive to our heavenly king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we belong. That's where our citizenship really is. And knowing that frees us knowing that we are ultimately submissive to him, knowing that we will live forever and ever with him, knowing that frees us to submit ourselves to the earthly authorities as submission to him. And as we do that, as we do that, it's going to be tricky, it's going to be ugly, it's going to be messy, it's going to be hard. And as we walk that difficult road, we got to always remember the king, the true king is coming back. He, he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will set it all right. Everyone will be submissive to him. At that point, in fact, Edmund Clowney paints this great picture. Oh, I'm sorry, Doug, like now go all the way to the end. When he says the political renovation of the world awaits his return, that's Jesus. For the, 
for he is the sole monarch of the universe. Until he comes, Christians are to be in submission to the governments that exist in the world. This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Our king is in heaven. We got to remember that, and we got to remember as we struggle to relate rightly to the, the authorities over us here that our king is coming back. It won't always be tense like this. It won't always be this, oh, I'm a citizen of this place and that place, and that's hard to do. There's a day coming it won't be hard anymore. He'll be the only king. He'll be the only king forever. We sing sometimes. When the state of our faith rises and falls with the state of the union, we reveal that our hope is anchored here in this world, not in the eternal kingdom of God. One of the things that I love about this text is that you can obey this text anywhere, anytime. Whether you live under a kind and godly ruler or whether you live under an evil dictator, when you know that this world is not your home, you can live anywhere in the world in a way that honors your true king, who is the true king. And I'm telling you, one of my goals as a pastor is to equip you to be a disciple of Jesus who can live faithfully unto him anywhere, anywhere at any time, not just in Mayberry, because Mayberry's gone. I'm trying to equip you to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who can live faithfully to him in Iran, in Afghanistan, in North Korea. You can obey this text of ultimate submission to the Lord and submission to governing authorities as submission to the Lord, so long as they don't call you to sin, you can do that anywhere, anytime. Believers have been doing it forever. Remember, this place is not your home. That'll help you as you navigate the tension between authorities. Number two, remember that there's a war within. Our flesh wants to fight against any, every, all authority. Our flesh wants to be in rebellion against God, to reject the clear commands here in this text. We do this really creatively. We say, oh, we live in a different era, one that Peter could never have imagined, so therefore this text does not apply to us. I read one commentator who did this. He said basically, well, our system is totally different, and so the most godly thing, he ended up saying the most godly thing you can do as an American is rebel against the authority if they step even a bit out of line. That sells. People will eat that up. But you basically have to dismiss this text as having zero relevance to the modern Western culture. And friends, that's a bad move to make. And we reject that same move when people try to apply it to the issue of homosexuality. When people try to say, oh, well, Paul and Peter and Jesus, they didn't understand gender and sexuality like we do. That was just the old days, and now the world has changed so much that we can't possibly apply those principles that were written way back then to what we've got going on now. Every one of us in this room say, that's bogus. That's bogus. You don't get to do that. God's word, God's word is either timeless and authoritative, or it's not. And if it's not, we're sunk. I'm done. If, if his word is not timeless and authoritative, I'm sunk. We stand on his word and we seek to be obedient to it even when it's hard. But our flesh loves to find a loophole, especially in matters like this that rub against some cultural thing in us. There's a war within us. We love our flesh wants to rebel against God. Our flesh wants to rebel against human authority. We've got a whole history as a nation of doing this and being proud of it. 
And so many people have confused their Christian faith with their national pride in a twisted way that they actually think that what is the best way to honor God is to buck against authority, governmental authority, especially when that authority is the wrong party in their eyes. Every chance they get, they think that's the best way to honor God. This is a real struggle that we have to fight against. And we fight against it by submitting to the Lord. By submitting to authorities as submission to the Lord. And by asking the Lord to help us do that. Listen, this is a key. Because this is hard. We ask the Lord to help us do what he's asked us to do. No, no, no. We ask the Lord to help us do what he has commanded us to do. He said in this text that this is his will. He's commanded us to submit to authorities. Don't you think he would help us do that if we asked him? If he's like commanded it, he said, this is my will. And we say, oh, Lord, help me do that. Do you not think he'll be like, I'm glad to help you do that. That's what I want for you. That's what I've designed for you. I'd be glad to help you do that. I also think one of the best ways we can fight our fleshly tendency toward rebellion against authority is to pray for those who are in authority. One of the best ways we can fight our flesh that wants to rebel and hate and push back against every authority is to pray for those who are in authority. So my question for you is, when was the last time you prayed for Joe Biden? Prayed for Joe Biden. Not criticized him. Not made fun of him. When was the last time you prayed for him? When was the last time you prayed for J.B. Pritzker? Not posted about how wrong he is. Not made fun of his physical appearance. When was the last time you prayed for him? One preacher said the best way to honor the emperor is to pray for him. He went on and said, Christians have more power in the prayer closet than they do in the voting booth. You can mobilize people to vote. We want to be people who pray. Vote too, sure. We want to mobilize you to pray. So Wednesday night, prayer meeting, we pray for those in authority over us. National leaders, local leaders, family leaders business leaders. Let me add one last thing to this. This is just, I got to say this. Let's go, Brandon, off limits for us as God's people. You know the story behind what that means? Keep that out of your mouth. It's disgraceful. Unbecoming of a Christian. It is direct, direct disobedience to this text. Keep it out of your mouth. So there's a war within us. We don't like to submit to authorities. In fact, I'm seeing it in you right now. I, I, can, I can see it. Some of you are like, I can't believe he's talking to us like this. You, you, like, you don't even like my authority over you in this. This is a war, friends. And who wins? Who wins when we resist every authority? Ask a school teacher who wins when every authority is resisted. It's a war. It's a real war. We got to fight. Number three, beloved, there's a world to win. It's a world to win, not to our political perspective. There's a world to win to the Lord Jesus Christ. This system is broken because the world is broken. The system is broken because the world is fallen and cursed. And we can spin our wheels trying to fix it, or we can ally ourselves with the unbroken, unbreakable, unending kingdom of God. 
And we can do good works here that will draw others into that kingdom while we wait for him to come. That's the goal, right? Is, is the longing, the deepest longing of your heart, my heart, to make America an easy place to be a Christian? Or is the deepest longing of our heart to see our neighbors become Christians through our faithful proclamation and good works? Is the longing of our hearts to make the kind of disciples who can be Christians anywhere? I have a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of time, and I can spend it one way or another. I want to spend the lion's share of my time investing in the eternal kingdom of God. The eternal kingdom of God, not the temporary kingdom of this world. I'm not inviting us to pull away from all talk of politics. I'm not calling us away from the voting booth. I'm not calling us away from engagement with our neighbors. I'm calling us to an even greater cause as we do that. To submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, in submission to him as the ultimate king. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. Let's stand and pray. Father, we need the spirit to give us clarity about this text, to shine light on this text so that we understand it properly. We need the spirit to help us obey it. We need each other to help us obey it. seems clear what you've called us to. The command seems clear. Your will seems clear. And so we ask for your help to follow it. And we trust that as we seek that help, you'll give it. That you won't leave us to our own devices to do what you've called us to do. But you will empower our faithful obedience unto you for the sake of your name. You are the king. The only king forever, and we submit to you. Help us to live in this world rightly in submission to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.